Chapter 27 of Dope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Friend. Dope by Sax Romer. Chapter 27 Crown Evidence. The appearance of the violet enameled motor brougham, upholstered in cream and driven by a chauffeur in a violet and cream livery, created some slight sensation in Spencer Road southeast. Molly Gretna's conspicuous car was familiar enough to residents in the west end of London, but to lower middle class suburbia it came as something of a shock. More than one window curtain moved suspiciously, suggesting a hidden but watchful presence, when the glittering vehicle stopped before the gate of number 67. And a lady at number 68 seized an evidently rare opportunity to come out and polish her letterbox. She was rewarded by an unobstructed view of the smartest woman in London, thus spake society paragraphers, and of the most expensive set of furs in Europe, also of a perfectly gowned slim figure. Of Molly's disdainful face, with its slightly uptilted nose, she had no more than a glimpse. A neat maid, evidently Scotch, admitted the dazzling visitor to number 67, and Spencer Road waited and wondered. It was something to do with the Bond Street murder. Small girls appeared from doorways suddenly opened and darted off to advise less watchful neighbors. Carrie, who had been at work until close upon dawn in the mysterious underworld of Soho, was sleeping. But Mrs. Carey received Molly in a formal little drawing-room, which, unlike the cozy, homely dining-room, possessed that frigid atmosphere which belongs to uninhabited apartments. In a rather handsome cabinet were a number of trophies associated with the detective's successful cases. The cabinet itself was a present from a Regent Street firm for who Carey had recovered valuable property. Mary Carey, dressed in a plain blouse and skirt, exhibited no trace of nervousness in the presence of her aristocratic and fashionable caller. Indeed, Molly afterwards declared that she was quite a ladylike person, but rather tin tabernacly, my dear. "'Did ye wish to see Chief Inspector Carey particularly?' asked Mary, watching her visitor with calm, observant eyes. "'Oh, most particularly!' cried Molly, in a flutter of excitement. "'Of course I don't know what you must think of me for calling it such a preposterous hour, but there are some things that simply can't wait.' "'Aye,' murmured Mrs. Carey, "'twill be on Bond affair.' "'Oh, yes, it is, Mrs. Carey. Doesn't the very name of Bond Street turn your blood cold? I am simply shivering with fear.' "'As the wife of a chief inspector, I may be a bit more used to tragedies than yourself, madam. "'But it surely is a sour grim business. "'Me husband is resting now. "'He was hard at work the night. "'Now you doubt you'll be wishing to see him privately?' "'Oh, if you please. "'I am so sorry to disturb him. "'I can imagine that he must be literally exhausted "'after spending a whole night among dreadful people.' "'Mary Carey stood up. "'If you'll excuse me for a moment, I'll awaken him,' she said. Our household is small. Oh, of course. I quite understand, Mrs. Carey. So sorry, but so good of you. Might I offer ye a glass of sherry and a biscuit? I simply couldn't dream of troubling you. Please don't suggest such a thing. I feel covered with guilt already. Many thanks, nevertheless. Mary Carey withdrew, leaving Molly alone. As soon as the door closed, Molly stood up and began to inspect the trophies in the cabinet. She was far too restless and excited to remain sitting down. She looked at the presentation clock on the mantelpiece and puzzled over the signatures engraved upon a large silver dish which commemorated the joy displayed by the Criminal Investigation Department upon the occasion of Carey's promotion to the post of Chief Inspector. 
The door opened, and Carrie came in. He had arisen and completed his toilet in several seconds, less than five minutes, but his spotlessly neat attire would have survived inspection by the most lynx-eyed martinet in the brigade of guards. As he smiled at his visitor with fierce geniality, Molly blushed like a young girl. Chief Inspector Carey was a much bigger man than she had believed him to be. The impression left upon her memory by his brief appearance at the nightclub had been that of a small, dapper figure. Now, as he stood in the little drawing-room, she saw that he was not much, if anything, below the average height of Englishmen, and that he possessed wonderfully broad shoulders. In fact, Carey was deceptive. His compact neatness and the smallness of his feet and hands, together with those swift, lithe movements which commonly belong to men of light physique, curiously combined to deceive the beholder, but masked eleven stones of bone and muscle. Note, one stone equals fourteen pounds. Very good of you to offer information, miss, he said. I'm willing to admit that I can do with it. He opened a bureau and took out a writing block and a fountain pen. Then he turned and stared hard at Molly. She quickly lowered her eyes. "'Excuse me,' said Carrie, "'but didn't I see you somewhere last night?' "'Yes,' she said. "'I was sitting just inside the door at—' "'Right, I remember,' interrupted Carrie. He continued to stare. "'Before you say any more, miss, I have to remind you that I am a police officer, and that you may be called upon to swear to the truth of any information you may give me.' "'Oh, of course, I know.' "'You know. Very well, then. We can get on. Who gave you my address?' At the question, so abruptly asked, Molly felt herself blushing again. It was delightful to know that she could still blush. Oh, I, that is, I asked Scotland Yard. She bestowed a swift, half-veiled glance at her interrogator, but he offered her no help, and they wouldn't tell me, she continued, so I had to find out. You see, I heard you were trying to get information which I thought perhaps I could give. "'So you went to the trouble to find my private address rather than to the nearest police station,' said Carrie. "'Might I ask you from whom you heard that I wanted this information?' "'Well, it's in the papers, isn't it?' "'It is, certainly. But it occurred to me that someone connected might have told you as well.' "'Actually, someone did. Miss Margaret Haley.' "'Good,' rapped Carrie. "'Now we're coming to it. She told you to come to me?' oh no cried molly she didn't she told me to tell her so that she could tell the home office huh said carrie what he bent forward staring fiercely please tell me exactly what miss haley wanted to know the intensity of his gaze molly found very perturbing but she wanted me to tell her where mrs sin lived she replied carrie experienced a quickening of the pulse in the failure of the C.I.D. to trace the abode of the notorious Mrs. Sin, he had suspected double-dealing. He counted it unbelievable that a figure so conspicuous in certain circles could evade official quest even for forty-eight hours. K-Division's explanation, too, that there were no less than eighty Chinamen resident in and about Limehouse, whose names either began or ended with Sin, he looked upon as a paltry evasion. That very morning he had awakened from a species of nightmare wherein 719 had effected the arrest of Cosma and Mrs. Sin, and had rescued Mrs. Irvin from the clutches of the former. Now here was hope. 719 would seem to be as hopelessly in the dark as everybody else. "'You refused?' he rapped. "'Of course I did, Inspector,' said Molly, with a timid, tender glance. "'I thought you were the proper person to tell.' "'Then you know,' asked Carrie, unable to conceal his eagerness. "'Yes,' sighed Molly. "'Unfortunately, I know. 
Oh, Inspector, how can I explain it to you? Don't trouble, miss. Just give me the address and I'll ask no questions. His keenness was thrilling, infectious. As a result of the night's beating, he had a list of some twenty names whose owners might have been patrons of Cosma, and some of whom might know Mrs. Sin. But he had learned from bitter experience how difficult it was to induce such people to give useful evidence. There was practically no means of forcing them to speak if they chose, from selfish motives, to be silent. They could be forced to appear in court, but anything elicited in public was worse than useless. Furthermore, Carrie could not afford to wait. Molly replied excitedly, Oh, Inspector, I know you will think me simply an appalling person when I tell you, but I have been to Mrs. Sin's house, the house of a hundred raptures, she calls it. Yes, yes, but the address. However, can I tell you the address, Inspector? I could drive you there, but I haven't the very haziest idea of the name of the horrible street. One drives along dreadful roads where there are stalls and Jews for quite an interminable time, and then over a sort of canal, and then round to the right, all among ships and horrid Chinamen. Then there is a doorway in a little court, and Mrs. Sin's husband sits inside a smelly room with a positively ferocious raven who shrieks about legs and policemen. Oh, can I ever forget it! "'One moment, miss, one moment,' said Carey, keeping an iron control upon himself. "'What is the name of Mrs. Sin's husband?' "'Oh, let me think. I can always remember it by recalling the croak of the raven.' She raised one hand to her brow, posing reflectively, and began to murmur, "'Sin, sin, ah, sin, sin, jar, sin, sin, oh, I have it, sin, sin, wah.' "'Good,' rapped Carey, and made a note on the block.' And he has a pet raven, you say, who talks? Who positively talks like some horrid old woman, cried Molly. He has only one eye. The raven? The raven, yes, and also the Chinaman. What? Oh, it's a nightmare to behold them together, declared Molly, clasping her hands and bending forward. She was gaining courage, and now looked almost boldly into the fierce eyes of the chief inspector. Describe the house, he said succinctly. Take your time and use your own words. Thereupon, Molly launched into a description of Sinsinwa's opium house. Carrie, his eyes fixed upon her, listened silently. Then, these little rooms are really next door, he asked. I suppose so, Inspector. We always went through the back of a cupboard. Can you give me names of others who use this place? Well, Molly hesitated. Poor Rita, of course, and Sir Lucian. Then Cyrus Kilfane used to go. Kilfane, the American actor? Yes. Hmm, he's back in America. Sir Lucian is dead, and Mrs. Irvin is missing. Nobody else? Molly shook her head. Who first took you there? Cyrus Kilfane. Not Sir Lucian. Oh, no, but both of them had been before. What was Cosma's connection with Mrs. Sin and her husband? I have no idea, Inspector. Cosma used to supply cocaine and vernol and trionol and heroin, but those who wanted to smoke opium he sent to Mrs. Sin. What? He gave them her address? No, no, he gave her their address. I see. She called. Yes. Oh, Inspector, Molly bent farther forward, I can see in your eyes that you think I am fabulously wicked. Shall I be arrested? Carrie coughed dryly and stood up. Probably not, miss, but you may be required to give evidence. Oh, actually, cried Molly, also standing up and approaching nearer. Yes, shall you object? Molly looked into his eyes. 
Not if I can be of the slightest assistance to you, Inspector. A theory to explain why the social butterfly had sought him out as a recipient of her compromising confidences presented itself to Carrie's mind. He was a modest man, having neither time nor inclination for gallantries, and this was the first occasion throughout his professional career upon which he had obtained valuable evidence on the strength of his personal attractions. He doubted the accuracy of his deduction, but, Molly at that moment lowering her lashes and rapidly raising them again, Carrie was compelled to accept his own astonishing theory. "'And she is the daughter of a peer,' he reflected. "'No wonder it has been hard to get evidence.' He glanced rapidly in the direction of the door. There were several details which were by no means clear, but he decided to act upon the information already given and to get rid of his visitor without delay. Where some of the most dangerous criminals in Europe and America had failed, Molly Gretna had succeeded in making Red Carey nervous. "'I am much indebted to you, miss,' he said, and opened the door. "'Oh, it has been delightful to confess to you, Inspector.' declared Molly. I will give you my card, and I shall expect you to come to me for any further information you may want. If I have to be brought to court, you will tell me, won't you? Rely upon it, miss, replied Carey shortly. He escorted Molly to her brougham, observed by no less than six discreetly hidden neighbors, and as the brougham was driven off, she waved her hand to him. Carey felt a hot flush spreading over his red countenance, for the veiled onlookers had not escaped his attention. As he re-entered the house, "'Yon's a bad woman,' said his wife, emerging from the dining-room. "'I believe you may be right, Mary,' replied Carrie confusedly. "'I kinned it when first I set ein upon her painted face. I kinned it the now when she looked sideways at ye. If yon's a grand lady, she's a woman of pure repute. The Lord gets grace.'" End of chapter 27